Do you like Dungeons and Dragons? Do you like monsters? Do you like Dungeons and Dragons and monsters? Then we've got a show for you. Kill Every Monster is a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons podcast. In each episode, we are joined by a guest to discuss the lore, mechanics, and story potential of classic D&D creatures. We debate tactics, and we talk about how to maximize these monsters both in combat and in your stories. And then we ask the very important question, is this even really a monster? To learn more about the show, head on over to killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill Every Every Monster. You know things, I know some too. Sit right down, the fam explain them to you. If there's a thing you want to explain, these two feminists can entertain. Nerdy stuff, sexy stuff, so much to know. Tune in for the Femsplain Show. Femsplain! Hey, Diana. Hi, Avalon. Hi, listeners. Good morning, listeners. How are you? Good. This is, an e- this is the evening. No, but for the listeners, it's the morning. The listeners... I'm, so, I'm sorry. The deal is that the listeners need to be on the same page as us oh i thought they always had to listen in the morning if we record in the morning oh okay so it's they just need to do what we do instinctually with yes no deviation okay so good evening listeners good evening if you've done it right you're listening at approximately 11 20 p.m eastern time true Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, so uh, we, this is Femsplained. Femsplained is a podcast. Femsplained is not only a podcast, but it is our podcast. It is. <laughs> and it's our only podcast. And neither of us is allowed to start a second podcast. That's true. <laughs> and, uh, it is the covenant that we made when we yes. started this podcast. In blood. It, it was a blood covenant. And... Um, there have been opportunities, but neither of us can take them because no. uh, if we do, then we burn. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one burns. Yeah. <laughs> and we can't live with the guilt. Yeah. It's like a cat dog situation. It's yeah, like, we're, yeah. I mean, it's like a cat dog situation <laughs> is just the new tagline. For it's this just, just like cat dog. Um, that was my favorite. And, and the episode of cat dog that most horrifies me to this day is the episode where they realize that whatever one does, it affects the other one. So they like stop how, brushing their teeth. How long could it possibly have taken and, to realize? And it 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 only existed in this one episode. It never oh, happened again. I remember now. You yeah. know, and so like one didn't ever brush their teeth, and so then the other one mm. like teeth rotted out of their head, and like they yeah, do all sorts of horrible stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really messed with me, stuck with me. So that's how wow. this podcast goes. I'm surprised that you willingly entered into our covenant knowing what you knew of I'm highly, highly susceptible to peer pressure from Same. you specifically. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm highly susceptible to peer pressure also from just me. Just from me. I will do whatever you say. Um... <laughs> But Femsplained is a podcast and Blood Covenant um, wherein Avalon and Diana, two friends across the country, uh, share our interests with each other and talk about those experiences in nerd culture from our queer nerd perspectives. Uh, And no one is allowed to question or quiz or interrupt us. Mm -hmm. Only us. Only us. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say that I made the mistake of listening to one of our previous episodes right before we started recording. And so the things that I do that annoy me are very fresh and I'm feeling like hyper self-aware. It's just what I recommend you do mm-hmm. is I recommend that you <laughs> you because this is what happens to me. I edit the podcast. So I. Every time we make an episode, I listen to it 
constantly <laughs> to edit it. And I am constantly hearing all the things I hate about myself. And now I've reached a point where I still hear them. I hear them as I'm doing them. And I'm just like, well, I, it can't be helped because <laughs> it's just so, it's just so, so much. Well, I'm honestly unsure if it's better to give up on yourself in the way that you've just described. Yeah. Or to just slowly cave in on yourself. <laughs> like a black hole. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that we all choose our own way. Mm. Giving up is my way. Yes. Caving in is your way. It's just yes. like in our last episode, we talked about how our different queer identities although under the same umbrella, come out differently. Same, same concept. Uh, mm -hmm. Our way of dealing with the way that we talk. Yes. <laughs> leads to two different responses. Very similar end result, but different. All the same. Well, I welcome our listeners to this choose your own adventure insecurity podcast yeah if you skip one of the, the things end. that i'm not going to be doing is too many attending responses too too many attending responses what does that mean i am constantly saying mm -hmm, and yeah in the middle of you making a point if you don't do that i will die avalon i need that verbal validation do you know that that keeps me alive if you stop i will cease <laughs> I'm only going to talk when it's my turn now. <laughs> the blood covenant. You risk me falling apart. Oh, wow. So <laughs> <laughs> That's terrifying. Oh, and as such, I will be making lots of noises in between my own sentences to give myself validation. Just watch Oh, so Diana, mm -hmm. what has nerd culture done for you lately? Ooh, switch Rooney. Uh, uh, let's see, a lot. Okay, so nerd culture has done for me is um, I got to play in a great. I got to GM a great uh, one shot for charity. Oh yeah, um, it was fantastic. wow. That was we haven't recorded since then. Yeah, it was fantastic. Um, we did. Uh, me, Ginny D, uh, Gabe Hicks, who is Gabe James Games, and um, Persephone, who is Persephoroth uh, on Twitter, played a game of Changeling the Lost for charity. We raised $2,500 for the Trans Lifeline. It was a blast. It was an absolute blast. It was so much fun, and they are all so beautiful and wonderful. Um, yeah, it was an absolute delight. Uh, and then the following Tuesday, so this past Tuesday, premiered uh, the first episode of a game Lost Across the Fence, a game set in the Coed and Cambria fictional universe uh, of the Omri Wars. Um, there are amazing people on that stream. And it has been fantastic so far. I'm especially really excited for this coming Tuesday, um, which will have passed by the time this comes out, uh, for episode two, because I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really good now that we've hit our stride. You know, episode one, everybody is feeling out their characters and testing relationships and stuff like that. And I've been paying attention to the group chat and watching how people are like feeling about their characters and who likes who and who is feeling like intrigued by who and I, I I can sense that there's like a real comfort in everybody's characters now and they yeah I'm I'm really excited for how that manifests in the second episode that's super exciting how many episodes total it's four but we also have uh the potential for a fifth depending on if our arc mm. ends we have like a, a buffer episode set in case we don't close out neatly that's wise yeah i i, I didn't want to like rush anybody mm -hmm. into finishing yeah and avalon what did nerd culture do for you lately that's a good question i was gonna say the nintendo direct but that didn't actually do anything for me yeah 
We did not actually get to talk about that with Austin, even though we kept talking about talking about it. I like we kept to. we kept mentioning that we were going to talk about it, but we didn't. I'll just say that's what nerd culture has done for me. Is talking to Austin. Yeah. Is that yeah. We, we got to be on Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries, which hopefully comes out before this. I think it does. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. I think it comes out Monday or Tuesday. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, right. That would make yeah. sense. Here's what nerd culture has done for me lately, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I recorded a podcast. <laughs> I, okay. No, no, no. I love this. Go, please. Diana and I guested on Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries, which is something I was genuinely really thrilled to do. Oh, my God. So excited. Really? Like, but really, really? excited to do. And I just didn't record my audio. Just didn't. Yeah. Didn't think of it. Didn't feel like I was forgetting something. <laughs> didn't have a technical malfunction. I just didn't. Did not. Just launched right in. <laughs> Started talking. Just I think the best my part. my ass off now, for I, 90 minutes. <laughs> I want to say something because I don't. I, I think that that part of it is so funny. But there's also the part where. Like Austin did send like a, a a brief like blurb about do not what to do to our account, but I know that I'm I am the only one who has access to the account, so I didn't like say like oh you know we need to record separately. I do no genuinely I sh- should have thought to say something, no but <laughs> but I I think that. The fun part to me, the funniest part, and I hope that you think it's funny because now everything's good and okay. But I think the funniest part is that we all clapped. (laughs) Yeah, I think about that clap a lot and what it meant to me in that moment. (laughs) When oftentimes when podcast recorders listeners are recording on separate audio tracks, we do a, a simultaneous clap at the start so that the person mm-hmm. editing can find a, a spike in the audio to line everything up nice and even. Mm-hmm. So in so Avalon's brain, for? we were being recorded on one track. So the clap truly should not have made it. <laughs> it should, not, should not have made any sense. Oh, I, but I... And I'm so sorry for 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 poking fun because I, I do genuinely feel like there is a big part of me that was at fault for that. But I no, I it's not, it's and funny. I reject that you feel like you were in any way complicit. <laughs> but it was a bummer. It was because we had it was a bummer. The episode we re-recorded it, so you will hear the episode. But you did yeah. miss a good episode. It was great. I, it was, it was great. great. We had a great time. There's a lot of stupid shit that came out of yeah. that conversation that is lost to the ages. Yeah. It yeah. dies with you and me and Austin. I wonder, because Austin and I have our audios, and I wonder if, like, without yours, if it would sound absolutely bonkers and, like, to have, like, this mystery of, of the crazy shit we said. Yeah. In like clips or something. Um, but so. So anyway, but you know what? Honestly, I'm not saying that it was a good thing by any standard. Yeah. But it did enable me to have the emotional breakdown that I really needed. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've been doing a lot better since. I Yeah. <laughs> it like just like I just hit rock bottom with that and all of my little serotonin synapses. Yeah. Just like blasted their way back open again. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but I it's so the horror like washing over us both and probably Austin too, but like mostly just us um, as we realized what happened and knowing that we needed to get off this call, but like also... <laughs> Like knowing, I, but I didn't. I needed to not be alone. Yeah, that <laughs> was the other problem. <laughs> knowing that this was not okay, I could see the exhaustion in Austin, and it was like, no, but I really need. <laughs> so, so we we stayed up till about three o'clock in the morning, mm. uh, Eastern yeah. time, obviously, um, to to decompress after that. Yes, to de-escalate Avalon. Did. <laughs> 
And then just to be silly. And it was nice. And then just to be silly. Yeah. But that's like what happens, right? You know, like Mm -hmm. you, uh, you, you deescalate. And then once you like leave the, the trauma brain. Yeah. You're able to like have fun. And it was a good night actually. Yeah. Um, and the episode got re-recorded because Austin is a good cat. Um, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. So I don't have to quit. Yeah, the internet, you don't... which is what I was repeatedly threatening to do. Yeah, in our <laughs> in our deeper. <laughs> I was like, I can't speak to anyone ever again. <laughs> yeah, um, not even my own baby. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Uh, it was oh, but it was fantastic. Yeah, uh, secret histories of nerd mysteries is who you should be listening to. Yeah, um, go check it out if you're not already. ASAP. Okay, so um, our last episode was very special. It was our in-person episode that we recorded uh, in Oregon. It was so good. It was so fun. Um, And we talked about uh, gender identity, queerness um, in that episode. It was wonderful. I feel wildly, like, vulnerable and uncomfortable with that episode, but also happy. Good. I feel happy <laughs> and weird. Good. <laughs> that it's, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I feel, I feel like there is a kind of pressure when you're talking about like identities and stuff like that on a podcast to like be instructional or like informational Mm. to people and we were just really like talking about what it felt like to us and i think that that needs to be okay i loved you in it i loved you in it i don't but i think that you did such a phenomenal job of being i don't know you like sounded like you had an inner light when you were talking about some of that stuff you were just like fully claiming your experience in a way that seemed really self-assured and confident and warm and just like awesome. I love that you caught uh, like got that from that. I didn't I don't feel those things necessarily, oh. but I am trying to. You I know, think like, you felt that way when we were recording cuz we were sharing a chair. Yeah, and I was yeah. just very I had my my uh comfort Avalon. <laughs> yes. Um, and I said the word like approximately 13 times per sentence when I was talking about myself because I was so clammy talking <laughs> about fact, something so personal. Yeah. Well, the fact that you hear that and I see, I don't hear that when I'm listening to you. Nuts. I and and I certainly don't hear self-assuredness when I'm talking. Oh, so yeah. like I I think you need to be a little bit forgiving. I think about... you need to not tell me what I need to be. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Look, I'm right. You're here. <laughs> I all right. So go listen to that episode if you, yeah, like the gay stuff. Yeah, if you don't like the gay stuff. Why are you here? And if you, uh, if you liked um, the live recorded mansplain minute song, <gasps> yeah, that go was to really our, fun. That was fun. If you want more of it, go to our Patreon. <laughs> You'll hear every take. You made it, it sound. You, you really made it feel like one take. <laughs> I did, didn't I? Because there were 30. There were 30 (laughs) takes. It was so many takes. So if you want to hear the takes, uh, you can go ahead and go to our Patreon. And that is behind the wall. Um, I'm very excited about that. So that was our last episode. This episode, uh, we are going to talk about what? We're going to talk about. Oh, wait, we need a man. We need a man. Let's get a man in here to. to explain this one has he ever you seen really it? are overconfident um that you think you can do it without a man i don't know hmm we never right. talked about it all right cool in a man's plane, yeah. 
Putting one minute on the man watch and go. Jennifer's body. I have not seen Jennifer's body. I can mansplain it though. A 2009 slasher flick. Sort of a mean girls meets vampires meets demons or something. Stars Megan Fox. Really? I could probably just say that. Stars Megan Fox and you would know everything you need to know about this film. Listen, I wouldn't presume to denigrate something with a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes where it appears in the You Might Also Like bar alongside such classics as Jason Statham's Crank High Voltage. Nor would I presume to criticize a movie included on Collider's seven best horror movies on Tubi right now list. Whatever Tubi is... Let's just say we cinephiles go in for a more thought-provoking horror movie. A hereditary, if you will. Something from A24, like Midsummer or Green Knight. I think I was supposed to be scared during Green Knight. Regardless, Jennifer's body ain't it. And this has been your Mansplain Minute. We are talking about Jennifer's body. Jennifer's body, if you... And you've never seen it, correct? No. Okay. So Jennifer's body is a is a uh, comedic horror film. It's it's a satire, uh, but I don't know if that's exactly the best word for it. Um, with um, with Amanda Seyfried and Megan Fox as the as the stars, um, Adam Brody, who was uh, Seth on the OC, um, Amy Sedaris, from Strangers yeah. with Candy is 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 a side character. Um, there there are a couple other recognizable people or people who go on to have uh, recognizable careers after that. It was not well received when it was released. It was it was not well received, and it was not received the way that it was intended to be. Um, it had a lot of mixed criticism, um, a lot of criticism that does not make sense to mm. people who have seen the movie. Um, so it was dismissed pretty much by critics. Uh, and it is a movie about, so Megan Fox plays Jennifer Check, um, who is a, I don't want to say a stereotypical popular girl. She's a hot girl in high school. She is not necessarily the most popular girl. She's not head of the cheerleading squad. She's head of color guard. So she's mm. like, it, it, it's like she's not quite the the top of the food chain in the high school. She's just, she's just a very hot, you know, semi-popular girl. Um, and her best friend, who is named Needy, which mm. is a nickname that's pretty mean, uh, is a kind of nerdy looking girl played by Amanda Seyfried. Um, she's a little bookish, a little bit. Um, she obviously it's Amanda Seyfried. She's beautiful, but she dresses, you know, frumpier, I guess. Acts a little bit nerdier, doesn't dress as conventionally pretty, but they're best friends. They've been best friends since elementary school and they're best friends into high school. And Jennifer is not is is Needy's best friend, but is kind of mean to her. Like she mm. pushes her around, gets her to do stuff she's not comfortable doing, and isn't right from the start is kind of you know pushy with that. Um, and gets her to go to this concert at a dive bar where inexplicably a band from I think New York or LA I can't remember they're in the middle of nowhere they're like in a, a podunk town and this band from a big city either New York or LA have come there to play a show at their dive bar doesn't make sense needy questions it doesn't feel comfortable she pushes her to go uh, and it's it's Adam Brody and his band are there and um, and as it turns out, they're there because this place has a great crime scene. Like, it has a perfect way to, to hide a murder weapon. It has this place called Devil's Kettle. It's a, like a, 
a stream that enters like a, a deep, deep hole that hmm. nothing has ever surfaced from. Like scientists have come there, they've dropped stuff down and it never comes back up again. So they have come there because it's the perfect place to commit a murder. And they have decided that in order to become famous musicians, they need to make an offering to the devil. Hmm. They, they've become bewitched by some sort of like, and it's very funny because they've become bewitched by a very like marketable Satanism. Like they Googled a spell mm -hmm. for how to sacrifice a virgin to, to, to become famous. Jennifer Check at this, at this bar is flirting with them and uh, is absolutely not a virgin. But in her defense, when she gets subjectified, her friend tells them that she is. Hmm. So they kind of orchestrate a situation. They set the bar on fire uh, wow. to cause chaos. And in the chaos, they whisk Jennifer away in their van in the shock. And they sacrifice her as a, as a virgin uh, to get their powers. But because... If you sacrifice a virgin that isn't actually a virgin, the spell goes kind of wonky and they get what they want, but she also gets like powers and basically becomes a succubus. Hmm. Uh, so, so she shows up the next day at school um, and is now slowly becoming acclimated to this new self where she is seducing the boys in her school and then eating them. The movie is really about, I think it's a kind of satire on, um, on the nature of high school. And there's a lot of commentary about tragedy in high school. There's lots of like, as these kids are dying, there's a lot of poignant scenes of like the way that high schoolers are forced to like mourn and then like just get right back to mm -hmm. life when all these tragedies happen around them, which was something that like felt very funny in a dark way to me, which, you know, yeah. um, and, and also needy and Jennifer's relationship, which is where now needy being critical of jennifer is coming off as jealousy because jennifer is just getting so much attention and she's so beautiful and everybody loves her and your criticism of her is not you know fair mm -hmm. um <clears throat> to the point where her own boyfriend starts to like question her judgment about these things um and there's so much good teen language in it there's so much slang and like like social media talk and kind of just like i don't know the language of of young people is utilized aggressively um to the point where it's i, I don't want to say young people it's it's aggressively written in the language of young teen women it's it's mm. written to have that as the prominent voice um and I think that this movie, because of Megan Fox's image at the time, was marketed as a sexy movie for men about a sexy girl in a sexy horror movie. Yeah. And it is absolutely not that. It's a movie for women about like the, the turmoil of female relationships in high school written through a monster movie. Yeah, that that's what it actually like. It, it's it's meant to evoke the same emotions of being a young girl and feeling crazy. And like, I think at war with your best friend, the person you love the most, being also your enemy for some yeah. reason and all kinds of things like that. Um, and. And it's written in that language. And then it, it just did not get received well by the audience that it was being marketed towards because it was definitely not for them. They are the victims of the movie. They're, in fact, they're not even the real victims. They're kind of 
fodder. They're thrown mm-hmm. away. They they come onto the scene and then they're killed like as as instantly as um, girls often are in other horror movies. The the main conflict is between Needy and Jennifer and their friendship and what this shift has exposed about it um, and how Needy needs to, you know, defeat her. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, it is deeply underappreciated and it's very funny. It's, you know, if it had not been so undersold, I don't know that I would call it like a fucking masterpiece or anything, but it is, but it is definitely a good movie that was not ever received as such. I I recall specifically that it was marketed incorrectly. Because yeah. That's, that's why I've never seen it. Yeah. And I feel like because it's a combination of misunderstood and a unique lens. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's sort of the combination that comes together for five, ten years later for things to have a little bit more of a cult following. Well, which sure. Which seems like it has or it's building. I'm seeing it's more building. and more. It's yeah. building for sure. Megan Fox recently said on a red carpet that this is the character she gets asked about the most recently. Hmm. Which I think, I think it took a while. Because this came out yeah. in 2009. Um, and in the last several years, I the last couple of years... I have started to hear more people talk about like like this movie in a in a you know I think I think yeah. also she has Megan Fox has sort of started to break away from the 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 kind of Hollywood blacklist that she was on temporarily mm-hmm. at the time uh, so that also may be why it is now kind of gaining that cult status people have have heard about that yeah there's i was i'm glad you said what year it was from because i kept trying to pinpoint where i was at in my life and what my journey with internalized misogyny was at the time 2009 sounds pretty peak yeah (laughs) um yeah me too and and yeah and megan fox still had so much michael bay yep it was. It, it's on the tail end of of her being blacklisted by Michael Bay. Yeah. Um, and when I didn't see it when it first came out, I saw it a few a few years later, as just a. It was a movie that was. I think I think literally like free to rent when I was home for the summer or something mm-hmm. like that on my parents. What whatever nonsense that they had that wasn't a streaming service like uh, a pay per view thing that they had yeah uh, and I just happened to put it on and then was like wait what <laughs> like what yeah, I, what what is this um it's uh it's super funny oh okay so I actually did see that um I guess it it became. It started to get resonance again in 2018. So 2009 to 2018. That's a pretty significant gap. But in 2018 is when it started to get. Did something catalyze that? In Me Too movement. Um, oh. So I remember there was an interview with Megan Fox. I forget who interviewed her, but somebody asked. And this interview stuck out to me because some somebody, some talk show set, host said that you know, people have mentioned you and want to know if you feel represented by this movement. And I think boldly and bravely, she said, no, I don't, because I don't think that this movement wants me. I, I, I feel she, she said openly that she doesn't feel like she would be supported by the Me Too movement if she said what hmm. had happened to her. Um, and I think and this that, is and I'm just trying to clarify the implication is it's because of how like overtly sexy she is. And I guess how she's 
seen or how she's like received or marketed or whatever. I, right. I she didn't explicitly say, but she just felt like that she would not be she would not be accepted by hmm. the movement, um, which I thought was something I I don't want to be true, but I could see. I could see it. She was, I feel like she was marketed as threatening to women. Yes. In a yeah. way that I can't really think of another example of an actor. Yeah. Um, and I will say fully that that's probably why I have a sense that I dislike her. And yeah. Yeah. I don't want to see her movies, um, at least at the time. Uh, yeah, she was, she was definitely like served up as like a bimbo, I guess, by well, Michael sure. Bay. I don't know. I feel, I feel like I should know better than that. I feel like I should not have those shared opinions, but that is my recollection of peak Megan Fox. So there, so in relation to her saying that like she felt like maybe her experience would not be accepted by the Me Too movement, when she first told, she first told a story around the time this movie came out, around 2009, she told the story of her first experience with Michael Bay and how he grabbed her when she was 15 years old in Bad Boys 2 mm -hmm. and told her and basically said, we can't have you seated at the bar because you're not 21. So instead, they dragged her up under a light on the stage in a bikini and high heels and had her doused in water. Um, and she told that story. And like, if you're watching, like she tells this story very clearly expecting one reaction and the audience is like whooping. Like Ugh. and like Jimmy Kimmel is like clapping and like laughing Ugh. and like stuff like that. Like it's a very like and she just kind of has this dry look about her when she tells the story and then just kind of moves on. But like you could kind of tell that at the beginning she was telling the story to showcase mm -hmm. that that was not normal or OK. But the reaction yeah. is so you know uh, like yeah. the wrong one um so so i kind of get that 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 assumption that maybe people would not be uh be there for her uh, or accept yeah. that story but um but yeah so it's this you know it's interesting because i feel like a lot of uh you know any and so many movies or so many actors and actresses have like ties to, you know, you can draw some sort of line to where like these movements have happened and like where they came from and stuff like that. But this movie has like a significant place in it, you know, somewhere where it's like all the reasons it was under a, appreciated at the time were all like kind of a direct relation to the perfect storm of the movie marketing it the way that they wanted her to be marketed, yeah. which then undersold what her character really was. And also like just the poor marketing of a movie that, that should have been aimed towards like young women. Like it should, it should have been like marketed towards that, that audience, but was not, or like even marketed as a, you know, as a dark comedy, like truthfully, which it also wasn't really. Do you know much about Diablo Cody? Not really. Okay. So Diablo Cody wrote it. And I just think that this is another thing that very interestingly plays into how the movie was not like marketed as it was intended or was misunderstood because I don't think that you have a lot of female screenwriters. And I think that she was fairly new. Yeah. Um, but she also, um, so she was, um, she danced. She was a stripper. 
she may or may not have done other sex work. So I think that also her, that voice in the, in the script is also probably something that yes major studios did not know how to market correctly. Um, no. And it kind of gets to that point that you were making of how everything that was perceived as wrong with it is kind of a direct result of what it was intended to be. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the cult, the cult following has really appreciated it. Well, it's, it's, it's great to see. It's nice to see like, like how much the cult following has really like, n- like nailed, um, you know, all of the, the great parts and the funny parts, like the deeply funny parts. Um, uh, it's just, it's sad because as much as these things get a cult following, nothing about a cult following helps us to change the trajectory of, of like how Hollywood makes things, I feel. Maybe I'm wrong, but I I feel like if it doesn't make the money, like the box office money, it doesn't send the message that this is what we want to see. It's like, um, yeah. do you have you ever heard of the? It's been a really long time, but I think it's called the Glass Cliff. So the Glass Cliff is, and again, if I'm remembering it right, it's been a while. It's something I I learned in sociology back in my undergrad of like the quote-unquote phenomenon that wasn't really a phenomenon of marginalized people often women or people of color like taking leadership positions in big companies right before the company fails and Mm. taking the blame for that like as why the company failed and so then nobody ever hires you know like or elevates someone to that stature again when really often it gets linked to an intentional practice of elevating a scapegoat yeah basically when you know that the company's already going down uh and and so like obviously this is not quite that it nobody like knew this movie was going to fail but the intention like the poor marketing the you know like all of those things like selling it in 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 antithetical ways to what it actually was uh and then it not doing well in the box office like are we gonna get a movie made like that again or like made by you know those people again you know where i think the strength lies in cult stuff um is merchandising I think yeah. that once something achieves cult status and there's a lot of money to be made in merchandising, yeah. that that's where you start getting like like reboots or um, new versions of things or prolonged sequels that never actually capture the original spirit of the, no, of the but thing. Just but just to cash I do in think on it, yeah. that that, yeah, I think yeah. that's the only place where it, it has power potentially. Yeah. Um, when something's a cult film, but that that in no way is a good is a good thing. So. Right. I would like yeah. I would really love for it to like influence things and for right. you know more stuff to be made with this voice. Um, or maybe there is. Maybe it's just that slow progress is harder to measure. So yeah. two thousand and nine to now, does that movie seem as outrageous now as it did then? That no, it would be but made. But the thing is, it shouldn't have felt outrageous then. Well, it no. just, I, well, maybe it would have. I don't know. It, it clearly, you know, I guess, st- was confusing for some men who found that they could not appropriately masturbate to it. But so here's a question that I have as someone who has not seen this movie yeah. and genuinely maybe saw the trailer like once, so I got yeah. nothing. I've seen a lot of like fan art recently that seems to indicate that it that like there's a lesbian thing going on. Yeah. So um, there is there is a it's it's kind of right from the start kind of implied. It's it's not it's not 
explicit, but it is implied that this relationship between Needy and Jennifer, why Needy puts up with with Jennifer's antics and her bullying and stuff like that, why she continues to call her her best friend, even though she's not really exactly treated equally in this relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, especially when, contrary, Needy does not seem to care about the approval of others at the school. So it's not like she's kind of the, the, the lonely kid at school who's wanting. She has a sure. boyfriend. She has friends. She's like involved in clubs. She has social life. But, but she's obsessed with her best friend, Jennifer, and there is a suggestion from the start that this bond that they have is a little bit more than that and then later on in the film that gets confirmed by Jennifer mm. uh, in a iconic line where uh, they are in their final fight and Needy says I thought you only killed boys and Jennifer says I go both ways Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, <laughs> um, all like a lot of things are delivered as a joke but there is actually like a, a kind of intimate scene that feels very familiar um, where they are laughing during a sleepover mm -hmm. and then kiss and then oh. laugh again and it's a very like it's a very girl's first um like test of that like limit where it's it's just oh my god i can't believe we did that ha 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 but it's you know it is definitely heavily implied if not can, outright can stated. i ask if that scene feels queer or if it feels male gazy i will say the setting of the scene everything Every part of that scene, with the exception of the actual filming of the kiss itself, feels very relatable to me. The, mm. They do do a close-up of the kiss that is very, you know, aesthetically pleasing. I'm not going to say I hated it. It sure. was very good to look it's, at. It's too but, hot, girls. But... But I, the mm. way that the kiss itself is filmed is definitely a little male gazy. But the, the rest of it does feel the whole scene and like how it happens and the laughter afterwards and like the, the weird like uh, like awkward cursing out after it happens felt like something that has is very relatable. How fun. Yeah. I want to know a lot about like what went into that part of the script. Yeah. Yeah, I think if I had to make some guesses, I would guess that that kiss. I, I think that the kiss was probably intended to be in it from the beginning. I would guess that the way that it was filmed was probably something that needed to be like coerced. Like, sure, you, you know, yeah. like because it does it did it did cut away. It was like, here's the scene. We're cutting to this scene of the kiss and then we're cutting away to the rest the back to the rest of the movie is, is mm. kind of how it felt. Mm -hmm. Like, here's this spliced-in, porny kiss. Um, right. You know, like, uh, but the I bet whole, that was negotiated in really a really interesting way. I think David Bowie actually was the one who... Get out of here. <laughs> who insisted. He would not. It would not be <laughs> porny if he had done it. He said, this kiss is not slutty enough. We need more. All right, listeners, you got to go listen to Secret History. Secret yeah, to have context to what I just said. <laughs> yes. I swear it's very funny, though, in context. <laughs> well, okay, so are there any other characters in this movie that we haven't really touched on yet? Um. Okay, so yes, we haven't talked about Low Shoulder, which is the band. So the band that starts all of this, they really do have a success and I actually think that that's a, an important theme throughout the movie is that they do get what they wanted out of ruining Jennifer's life and ruining the lives of all the people in this town. They get success. They get famous. They're 
and they actually use the tragedy of what happened in this town as sort of their jumping off point. So whether or not it was actually like the magic doing it or whatever, but they go on radio shows talking about like the tragedy of Low Shoulder, like they're gonna, uh, the tragedy of Devil's Kettle, they're gonna donate a portion of their of their record sales to the, the people of the town, like, and they get lauded and they get put on radio shows and they're, they start do going, you know, um, uh, they start, getting all of this wild fame and it's a backdrop you hear them over the loudspeaker in the school while mm. while scenes are going on you hear them in the car radio you hear them uh like while the mom um uh, amy sedaris's character is is getting ready for work you hear and it's the same song over and over again and you just hear different iterations of it throughout the movie and it the song, as the movie goes on, gets more and more better produced. Like oh. it, it's like they're get, like as they get more famous, it's like it's it's a better quality, and you hear like this like it develop and and get better sounding, etc. That's a really interesting choice, and I think it. And as that's happening, Needy's life and Jennifer's life is turning into complete shit, like and falling apart. And I think that that tells a story of what it feels like to to be like, you know, like to be a, a victim, like, you mm -hmm. know, to be a victim and to not have your you know victimizer face any consequences and instead to watch them like, you know, like or to hear them like their their success yeah, like echoing everywhere, everywhere yeah. like all over the place. And it, it becomes like even just watching it as a viewer, you, you feel infuriated by the sounds of like this band like playing in the background. Do you have any more like deep analyses of themes that are at play or the meaning of choices from the movie? Cause it feels like there's a lot there. Um, yes, I think that, I think that needy is, Needy's character is someone who so like her her name is Anita never once in any scene in this movie is she ever called that she's called Needy by everyone her boyfriend her best friend her mom everybody calls her Needy it's I don't think that that's necessarily realistic I think that it's meant to be uncomfortable that this girl does not like have anyone who who like you know sees her as not like I don't know or an annoyance or something like that like yeah. needy is is not a nice nickname but we like she has a boyfriend who seems like a nice guy he's played by uh Johnny Simmons, Johnny Simmons, who is um, uh, in Scott Pilgrim, he plays young Neil in Scott oh, Pilgrim. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and he he comes off as very sweet, very, very kind, very nice. But he calls her this. And and even when he gets like lured by Jennifer, he falls for it, too. Like, it's kind of like this. It, to me, I don't know what was intended, but to me, it felt it feels like, you know, next to like the the lures of a succubus, which, you know, are, are what they are. You don't stand a chance, even with the people who care about you, like no right. one's going to believe you. No one's going to do anything. And, and no one is safe, like even the people who are, quote unquote, loyal to you. Um and and I think that ultimately the ultimate point is at the end Jennifer is is also a victim like yeah. and that 
it's easy to victimize to to villainize her during like the the center points of this movie where she's eating the boys and stuff like that mm-hmm. um but but at the end defeating her the last thing that happens you know like needy does win and does defeat her in a fight the first thing that happens when needy defeats her is not only needy beginning to weep but jennifer's mother like comes in and starts to just weep she jennifer's mother who presumably didn't know she did anything wrong Mm. like this is just a teenage girl like how could anything have happened that would justify what you know what just happened to my daughter like it's such a heartbreaking and like the music stops and it's just this mother grieving over a teenage girl who is now dead and like it's um there's no there's no winner in this like war between these two girls the only winner is this man far away who's you know getting drunk and high in a hotel room somewhere rich and happy and that's you know like that's the that's it it brings the focus back to like that's the that's the actual villain Hmm. well that sounds solid yeah i don't i don't want to like you know make it out to be like revolutionary or anything but it's it's just it's a good movie and it has good themes and poignant themes they're not anything that you know would probably blow your mind in any way it's just that the fact that it was so underappreciated really highlights that any movie talking about like these things in any sort of a clever way you know is so yeah (laughs) you know underappreciated well i'm really looking forward to watching it me too. I'm really. I. I. I think you would like it. I think yeah. it's very funny. And I'm you know, sold. And also, you know, Amy Sedaris is great. Yeah. She. She doesn't have to do much. She's just a good. A good. Yeah. Good person. Um, and I really need to make amends with Megan Fox. Yeah. It's. A, it's. It's a part of all our journeys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you gonna do after this? Um, I mean, I'm probably going to, you know, just get ready for bed. Oh, that's good. Me too. What are you going to do? Yeah, probably that too. I am, I'm riding my bike to work every day. Good for you. I've been doing that since last Friday. Not like two days ago, but. Oh, (laughs) it's like, have you had work since Friday? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's Sunday. Previous Friday. (laughs) Well, Um, that's great. Yeah, it's. Do you wear a helmet? I do. I'm Good, thank you. Stunned by how many people do not, but I do. I have real issues with that. Yeah, me too. Uh, I do wear a helmet, um, and <laughs> I listeners, please wear a helmet. Wear a helmet, like it's not cute. Yeah, it's not. You don't look cute. Don't. No. no. You don't look cute without a helmet. You don't. You only look cute with a helmet. I don't care what it does to your hair. Yeah, I really don't care. No. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what I'm going to do is go to sleep so that I can have the energy to to keep that up. Good. Wow. I'm so proud of you. Thanks. I may start riding my bike to work once I'm no longer doing the daycare drop off. Ooh, fun. Maybe. When does that when does that stop? October. Oh, that's like soon. I know. Ah. All right, we'll see. Bike buddies. Oh, I think I need to. I need to fix one of my tires. But yeah, all right. Yeah. Peer pressure me into that. I will. I will do that. All right, listeners, uh, wear your helmets. Wear your fucking and make helmets. Amends with and Megan make Fox. amends with Megan Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Good night. Good night. You can find all of our Femsplained content either on Patreon.com/slash Femsplained. Twitter, you can find us at Femsplained Cast. 
Instagram, you can find us at Femsplain Podcast. And you can check out superdillon.com slash Femsplain to find the guest form and all of the different places where you can listen and connect with us. Awesome. You can find and follow me, Avalon, at A underscore cat attack on both Twitter and Twitch. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, TikTok, and all the places at Super Dylan. And that is D-I-L-L-I-N. Awesome. Thank you so much for your support. Bye. Bye. Bye.